Turn, if you would, to the 13th chapter of the book of Matthew. Yes, my grandson did arrive last night. And then I have a, my marine son will show up on Wednesday. Another daughter showing up on Thursday. We have a wedding on Saturday. Another one of my daughters is getting married. And in theory, I will be here next Sunday. I may sleep through the lesson, but I will be here. We're working our way through chapter 13. Chapter 13 is a discussion of Jesus' parables. Last week we started with one of the parables, and then we had a discussion about why he spoke in parables. And I told you at the time, I didn't particularly like the lesson. His disciples asked Jesus, why are you talking to the people in parables? And Jesus' answer, which is in this chapter, starting in verse uh, 10 or whatever it is, he says, the secrets of the kingdom are for you to understand. I'm going to explain to you, the disciples, what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. And throughout the chapter, we have a series of parables, most of which, not the first one, but most of which begin with the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. I'm going to teach you what the kingdom of heaven is like, but they are not going to understand. I am talking in parables not to make it easier to understand, although I am making it easier for you to understand, I'm going to make it so that it is difficult for them to understand it. And that kind of flies in the face of, well, don't you want everybody to understand everything? And the discussion we had last week was about the idea of hardening your heart. The fact that we say no to the movement of the Spirit and our heart is hardened. Or is it God hardens our heart? Or is it we heart? Yes. Yes. And when our hearts are hardened, we cannot, will not, choose to understand the secrets of the kingdom. And at some point, God says, enough. I've explained it to you. You had the opportunity. Enough is enough. And that's where we ended up last week. So, we actually covered the first parable, and we got to the explanation my eyes are going. And we got to the explanation, and we kind of rushed through it. So if you would, we're going to redo, starting in about verse 18, and we're going to talk about the explanation for the parable. You remember the parable. It's at the beginning of the chapter. The sower goes out. He's got his seed, and he starts throwing it. The word that I didn't remember last week and somebody reminded, he's broadcasting it, okay? So he's throwing the seed, and some of it falls on the, the path. You know, you have a path that you've walked down so many times that it's just hard. Nothing's going to grow there. I was actually told one time that a good way, if you're building a new major building and parks and all that, to find out where to put the sidewalks, don't put any and see where people walk. And then after a month, put the sidewalks where people walked. Because it's hard. I mean, it's, I want to go this direction. The, ground, the seed falls on that and the birds come and just pick it up because it's sitting right on the top. Some of it falls into the shallow ground. Yeah, there's some dirt there. And the seed begins to grow, but it gets about that deep and there's no place for it to go and it dies out. I made the comment. That's what my backyard is like. Okay, I live on red stone because that far down beneath my backyard is a layer of red stone. You can break through it. It's not very hard, but it's not going to allow anything to grow. The third type of soil that the seed fell on was the soil that had all the thorns in it. Yes, it had good soil. It was growing, but other things were growing too. And the thorns and the weeds just choked the life out of the good seed. And then the final soil was the good soil, and the seed fell on the good soil, and it grew, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. 
So he gives the parable. The disciples ask, why are you talking in parables? And then he gives them the explanation of the parable. Let me explain to you what this all means. And we rushed through this last week. Here then the parable of the sower. It is interesting that he refers to it as the parable of the sower. That's his title. When really what we're talking about, most of it is about the soil. The different kind of dirt that it's growing in. Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes in and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. There are some who hear the gospel and it has no effect on them at all. In fact, it oftentimes has a negative effect on them. They react negatively to it. That's the stupidest thing in the world. Who could possibly believe that? It is interesting. I was actually reading a commentary about this this week, a more contemporary commentary which was convinced that, of course, we know that Jesus didn't really say these words, right? I mean, these were added much later because the parable has nothing to do with this, right? And I'm going, wait a minute. Hardness of heart. There it is. I'm going to take the scripture and I'm going to convert it, pervert it, change it, modify it any way I want so that everybody knows that the gospel doesn't make sense. And we have a lot of people like that today. I don't know if you've ever shared the gospel with somebody, and you might as well have been talking to that table. I mean, you give the words to them, you think the words make sense, and there is no response at all. And it says the devil just comes and picks up the seed and carries it off. What is the seed, by the way? It's the word. Remember that. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arises arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. I, I, I go to church. I hear the sermon. It is great, wonderful. I respond to it. And I'm, this is great stuff, and it lasts a week, and then I go off and somebody says something bad about me because I've become a Christian, and I go, "Eh, I don't want any of that. And we fall away. It is the shallow understanding of the gospel message. Now, we can have another discussion that we probably shouldn't have, but I'll go ahead and mention it anyway. Is this person really a Christian? The answer is no. There are some who would argue with me, but I will say no. Are you saying that this guy became a Christian and then when the tribulation came, he rejected it and became a non-Christian? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that there were never the roots that were necessary to produce true growth the individual was never truly a believer. Our church and I believe that you cannot lose your salvation. You can't be a believer and inherit eternal life and then uninherit eternal life because then it wasn't eternal life that you inherited. Now, that's a matter of controversy to a lot of people. We are told to persevere in the midst of difficult times. In fact, we are told that difficult times will come. If you remember, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says the storms of life are going to come, and the storms of life are going to reveal what the foundation is upon which you built your life. Either you're going to build your life on the Word of God, on the rock, and when the storms come, the foundation will stand, or... You're going to build your house upon the sand, and when the storms come, it will be destroyed because the foundation won't stand. We all know people who hear the word, 
and think that it will make their life better in some earthly fashion, and the moment it fails to do that, they walk away from their faith. I told you the last two weeks I've been reading through this book, I actually finished it this week, about disappointment with God. And that's one of his discussions. The fact that when disappointments come, and he's not talking about the really big stuff, he's just talking about everyday life. The things that you wanted to happen and didn't happen. The things you didn't want to happen and they happened anyway. And those are disappointments. And there are those who have a taste of the gospel. And when the difficult times come, they go, no, it wasn't worth it. I'm leaving it. And that was the second soil. And as for those that were sown among the thorns, this is the one that hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. I hear the gospel. I respond to the gospel. I like the gospel. But then the things of this world start attracting me. You know, that over there looks really good. That over there looks really good. That over there promises me a good life. That over there promises me that it's going to take care of all my problems. And I begin to look at those things not realizing that those are the deceitful things of this world and they are leading me astray from the gospel. What they do is they choke the life out of the gospel that has been planted in your life. I made the comment last week. I can relate to this. The deceitful things of this life, we just get so busy with the things of this world, and we do not understand that there is no life in those things. And what? The deceitfulness of wealth. We begin to pursue the things of this world in ever-increasing quantities, not realizing that all this is going to do is suck the life out of our spiritual life. Can you, some of you relate to this? I mean, not you personally, of course. You know people who maybe as a young person were very involved in Christian activities, and then they grew up, and the business world just yelled at them, come on, come on, follow me, come after the things of this world. I also told you last week I've been rereading Pilgrim's Progress, and we are just now at the section where they enter vanity, the town of vanity. And what is in vanity? The Vanity Fair. All the things of this world that are given to you to distract you from your journey toward God. That's what this passage is talking about. What does it do? It chokes the life out of your spiritual growth. Now here's the question that I almost didn't answer last week. And I'm going to almost not answer it this week. <laughs> is this person a believer? I have to think no. I have to think no. We are called to be fruitful. We are called to produce spiritual fruit. And what does it say? Because of the worries and cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth, they produce no fruit. The sower is throwing the seed. Why is the sower throwing the seed? Because he wants to produce a crop. And if the thorns choke the life out of it, then it is bearing no fruit. What value does it have to the sower? Now, I'm a little more ambivalent about this one, though. Why? Part of it is because I can relate to this. That both scares me and, well, whatever. Some of the seed 
falls on the good soil. What does good soil do with good seed? It is fruitful. Some of it 30-fold, some of it 60-fold, some of it 100-fold. I might add, as an illustration, this is probably a little bit of hyperbole. Real seeds don't produce 100-fold, okay? To the best of my knowledge, you can take your seed and you plant it and you'll get a bunch. Maybe 30? I don't know. Maybe? I don't know. What is his point, though? You will be fruitful. The goal of the Christian life is that you will produce fruit. What is the fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control is the fruit of the Spirit, as we learn in the book of Galatians. Now, I did hear a teacher years ago who speculated that the first two of these soils, the one that only produced 30 and the one that produced 60, were somehow deficient. That God really wanted you to produce 100, and if you were only producing 30, there's some flaw in your life. I'm not sure I would believe that. Do you remember the parable of, you know, the master's going away and he gives one guy 10 talents? and he gives one guy a couple of talents, and he gives one guy one talent. God is going to give you what he wants to give you in his providence, and he expects you to work with what you've got. So the fact that one is 30, one is 60, one is 100 should not bother us. It shouldn't concern us. They are all being fruitful with what God has given them. So, That was the end of last week's lesson, sort of. We began with the idea that all of these parables are going to teach us a secret, a mystery, something that was not previously revealed regarding the kingdom of heaven. What is the secret that this passage is going to give us? We're going to spread the gospel. Okay? We're called to do that. I'm supposed to go and tell people about what Jesus has done for the world and what Jesus has done for me. And we do that, and the first person we spread the gospel with is like hard like that, and we go, oh, the gospel didn't work. There's something wrong with the gospel. No. It's the exact same seed that fell in all types of soil. It isn't the seed that has a problem. It's the soil. It is the human heart. When we, as members of the kingdom, go to spread the gospel, it should not surprise us that some do not respond. Yes. His comment was, you, spread the, you share the gospel with somebody and they don't respond. And the answer is, you have done what you ought to do. Now, I might add, as an aside, okay, if you're a jerk, maybe you need to work on that. <laughs> if you don't really understand the gospel, maybe you ought to work on that. But when we share the gospel with a clean conscience, and somebody does not respond, it's not the gospel's fault. That's what he's teaching us about the kingdom. When we live in the world right now, we're not talking about heaven, we're not talking about some utopian community where I talk to people and everybody goes, oh, that's so good. I mean, you ever feel that way? I mean, here this person is, working themselves to death, trying to 
succeed in life, trying to save themselves. And we come along and share the grace that God has given to allow them to be saved. And they go, no. And we go, are you just... Pardon, I'm thinking of all kinds of bad words. (laughs) Are you stupid? No, they're not. They just have a hard heart. There's a but. You're getting ahead of me. His comment is the seed is still there. Actually, in the first one, it's not. Because it says what? The birds come and carry it off. But I'm still going to follow your point. Because you got the right idea. Go ahead. You never know what effect you're going to have. Or you share the gospel with somebody, and they go, that's the greatest thing ever. And you go, oh, it worked. The gospel worked. You go home, you tell your wife, your husband, it was the greatest thing ever. And a week later, you see them, and they're just like they were before. And you go, oh, shoot. What happened? Shallow soil. Or you share the gospel with someone. And then life comes along. The problems of this world. The deceitfulness of wealth. All of these things pile up and pile up and pile up and pile up. And you begin to see that there's no fruit. And you go, oh shoot, the gospel didn't work. The secret of the kingdom that we are getting out of this passage is that the gospel is the same, but the gospel has to operate within the human heart. And if the human heart says, nope, then the gospel will not take root. Now, a side statement about parables, just to make sure we don't get in trouble. Parables have a point. But parables can be pushed to make up new points until you go crazy. Don't push them too far. Why? Sterling just made the comment, but the seed is still there. We're talking about, in this picture of the hard ground and the seed falling on it, And that's the human heart that is hardened and the seed will not take root. But it's like one commentary said, but the plow can come along and break up that hard soil. Generally, not always, but generally in people's lives, that's some major tragedy that hits them and they go, oh, I need something else. Don't push this to think that this person is a hard heart, always will be a hard heart, and there's no hope for them. Don't push the parable that far. The parable is just the acknowledgement that there are those with a hard heart. There are those who the cares and worries of this world are choking out, and we help those people, and the gospel, well, we'll let God take care of the gospel. We'll let him handle that part of it. So, what's the secret of the kingdom? Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. Don't get confused and think that the gospel is ineffective. The seed is good. It's the human heart that has difficulties. On to the next one. Verse 24. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, 
Did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Pretty simple picture, right? The farmer sends his guys out. Here's the field. We prepared the field. It's a good field. Go put your seed in the field. So they put the seed in the field. Woo, life is good. Months later, we should expect a crop. Except during the night, his enemy came along. I mean, this isn't some ambiguous, this is an enemy comes along who wants to mess up his life. Now, this is a pretty mean thing to do, right? He's got his bag of weed seed. I didn't even know there was such a thing, right? Weeds just kind of grow naturally in my house, at my house. But you know, you mow them and they all look the same. The enemy of the master goes into the field and he throws the weeds, the seeds for the weeds, out in there. And after, I mean, nobody knows this. I mean, let's face it. It's a field of dirt. But eventually, plants start coming up. Plants start coming up, and the farmer's helpers go, wait a minute, we planted wheat. That's wheat over there. What in the world is that? What's growing in the middle of our wheat? And the master says, an enemy came and did this. An enemy came. Well, we need to go through there and pull up all the weeds, don't we? No, no, no. If you go trampling through the wheat field to pull up the weeds, you're going to destroy the wheat field. We don't want to do that. Don't do that. We'll wait until everything gets big enough. It gets tall enough. At the harvest time, we will go through and we'll pick up all the weeds and we'll bundle them up and we'll burn them. And then we will harvest the wheat. That's the parable. Now, if you had never heard this before, you're the audience hearing this illustration for the first time, what would you be thinking right now? Why would you be going, okay, there's a bad guy, I'll get that. Why, why would it happen this way? And you'd walk away going, man, this guy's got a really bad neighbor. Jumping ahead to verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went, and yes, I know I skipped some, we'll come back. And went into the house, his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the, of the field. They didn't even know what it meant. What, what's the point of all of this? He answered, the man who sows the good seed is the son of man. Who is the son of man? Jesus. I am sowing the seed. The field is the world. That's everything that we know of right now. More on that in just a moment. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. Now, remember, we are on a different parable, right? What was the seed in the last parable? That was the word, the gospel being shared. In this one, the good seed are the believers. The believers are in the world. Okay? You've got the picture. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. Are you ready for here? This is a deep, dark secret. In this world, there are believers and there are unbelievers. 
that shock you? Does that surprise you? Don't you wish it were otherwise? (laughs) The secret of the kingdom is that in this world we are living in the midst of people who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Savior, as the Messiah, as God. And it shouldn't surprise us. What did the Jews want? The Jews wanted a Messiah to drive the Romans out of the country and set up his kingdom, and the kingdom was going to be in the here and now, and everybody was going to acknowledge the Messiah as king. There weren't going to be any bad seed. There wasn't going to be any bad seed. And he's acknowledging that in this world, there's going to be bad seed. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of the kingdom, out of his kingdom, all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. You thought last week's lesson was rough. There are two seeds, the believers and the unbelievers. There's two destinations. And guess what? Having chosen to be one of the, either the good or the bad, the destination is set. We don't like this one either, right? The weeds are going to be gathered up. The unbelievers are going to be gathered up at the end of the age, at the time of the second coming. We're not going to get into a discussion of that. At the end of the age, the angels are going to go through and they're going to say, here's the bad and here's the good. And the bad are going to be thrown, well, into hell, where there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. This is not a description of a nice place to be. Question. The servants of the master in the parable ask, why don't we go in right now and pull all the weeds out of the field? You get enough workers, you can send them out there, you can pull up all the weeds. And the master says no, because if you do it, you will harm some of the wheat. What gives? Why does God allow unbelievers to live in the world? You go, well, it's their world too. No, it's God's world. Let's just make up a new universe, okay? At some point in in your life, God gives you the opportunity to respond to the gospel. And you say no, and God zaps you right then and there. End of story. Pretty soon, all the unbelievers are gone. We're in nirvana. We're in utopia. Life is great here and now. Why doesn't God do that? Because he wants us to share the gospel with the unbelievers. We get frustrated because the unbelievers act like unbelievers. It shouldn't surprise us. What's the secret of the kingdom? We're supposed to be in this world sharing the gospel. And at the end of the age, there's going to be judgment. Remember my comment just a moment ago about not pushing parables too far? He's talking about at the end of the age, there's going to be a separation between the wheat and the tares. 
There's going to be a separation between the wheat and the weeds. But between now and then, between now and then, if we went through today and separated out all the weeds, how do we know that those weeds wouldn't respond to the gospel? How do we know? It could damage the master's plan. Hmm. We don't like the idea of judgment, but the scripture is full of the idea of judgment. Judgment is coming. You go all the way back to the beginning of the book, the beginning of the Bible, and you see that God gave human beings a standard by which they must live. I planted all these trees in the garden. You can eat of any of them you want except that one over there. And what did they do? They went and ate out of that one over there. You can do all, all these things that you want to do. And what did they go do? They did the one thing God told them not to do. Eventually, God gave them a list of Ten Commandments. Follow these, and we're good to go. I mean, you read the book of Deuteronomy, and there's this long discussion. You follow my commands, and here are all the good things that are going to happen to you. You don't follow my commands, and here's all the bad things that are going to happen to you. Throughout the scripture, we've seen God telling the people what to do, and they did something else. Why did they do that? Because we have a sin nature. Until we get to Jesus Christ, who says, here is salvation. I will give it to you. I will give it to you as an act of grace. Remember all that sacrificial system stuff that I showed you in the Old Testament? I'm the fulfillment of all that. I have been spending eternity trying to show you that you couldn't do it on your own. And guess what? I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to shed my blood so that you can have a right standing with God. That is the gospel message. But guess what? There's still judgment. Whereas back there we are standing on our own righteousness, now we are standing on the righteousness of Christ in our lives, but guess what? We can still say no. We can say no. We can be the hard soil. We can be the shallow soil. We can be the soil with the thorns. We can be all of that. And judgment will come. In our day and age, we have convinced ourselves that as long as somebody's nice, as long as they behave themselves in public, as long as they smile at the right times, they're a nice guy and they're going to make it in. The scripture says there's two types of people. There's two types of people. Some are heading toward judgment and some are heading toward heaven. Somebody's phone is ringing. <laughs> Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Why wouldn't we hear this? You see, back to the comment a while ago, we share the gospel and we think it's so easy. Why don't you just do it? But sometimes we don't want to hear what we don't want to hear. We don't want to hear that there's judgment. We don't want to hear that we are not the standard by which things will be judged. We don't want to hear that. Our society has convinced us that as long as you're sincere and well-meaning, it doesn't matter what you do. But there's going to be a judgment and there's going to be two choices. And that's all there is. So what is the secret of the kingdom? In this world, 
There's good and there's bad, and we have to accept it. I don't know about you, there's been times when I'm going, why? Why? Because God has a work for us to do. Let me add a little wrinkle to this. It says the field is the world. That's what it says. There are some commentators who want you to believe, and there's some interesting ideas here, that what he's really talking about is the church. In this community of believers that we call Christ Chapel, there are those who are true believers, and there are those who are not. We accept that, right? There are people who come because they were invited by a family friend. They like the music. We talked about this last week. They like being here. We're nice people. We're friendly to everybody most of the time. They just like it, so they come. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're unbelievers. I mean that they're believers. Now, I could, I could, if I were of such an inclination, line you up on the wall and start grilling you to try to figure out which you are. Okay? Are you really a believer? I mean, the, the elders, when you join the church, ask you a series of questions. But you know, those are pretty simple questions. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Yes, okay. Welcome to the church. But I want to really grill you, okay? Are you acting like I think you ought to act? I read an article years ago. I loved it. Years ago, in a homeschooling magazine. And this new couple wanted to join the church, and they wanted to speak to the pastor, so they invited the couple over to have dinner. But they didn't start dinner, because the new couple had their questions. They want to know first whether I can fellowship with you. And they started down their list of questions. And he said, we made it to question five before they left, because we were not their kind of Christian. And they let us know. And he said the wife was very apologetic. He said, normally people kick us out long before this. <laughs> I can badger you to try to make you into the type of Christian that I would want you to be, which would be a really bad thing, by the way. And I could grill you on your behavior and your understanding of the scripture and all this stuff with the point of pointing out that you're not really a true believer, that you're really a tear, you're a weed in the midst of, my question is, what good would that really do? We are called to encourage one another. We are called to discuss with one another the things of the kingdom. We are called to help each other on their spiritual life. We are not called to beat people over the head to see whether they're in or they're out. Because usually what we do is we've got our secret list that I'm going to judge you by. There's a word for those in the scripture. They're called Pharisees. So, while I don't really believe this passage is talking about the church per se, the reality is in the world, there are believers and unbelievers. And in our community, there are believers and unbelievers. And what do we do? The same thing we do out there. We show them love and we preach the gospel to them. You sometimes may wonder, why do I share the gospel about every other lesson? Because we all need to hear it continually. All of us. If you are a believer, you need to hear the gospel. If you're an unbeliever, you need to hear the gospel. And that's why we do it. That's why we do it. What is the secret of the kingdom? We are living in a world full of weeds. We are not here to judge the weeds. Notice that it does not say that the wheat started pulling up the weeds. 
That would be a really odd picture. Okay, all of you wheat, go pick up all the weeds. Nope, not our job. That'll be taken care of at the end of time. Now, we have five minutes left. Let's do a really short one. Verse 31. Nope, we skipped one, did we? No, it is 31, okay? Making sure I'm going backwards. He put another parable. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is large, larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. That's a pretty simple parable. What's the next one? And he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Why does it say woman? Don't men? I make pizza dough. I make pizza dough. You put in the yeast, you start kneading it, okay? What are you doing? You're spreading it all through there. What I'm doing is letting out all my frustrations. Mm, mm, as you knead the pizza dough. You're mixing it in. Why are you doing that? So that it will permeate everything. What is he saying here? The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. The kingdom of heaven is like the mustard seed. The mustard seed is itty bitty tiny. And it grows into a big plant. What is the point of the kingdom? Start with something small. God will take care of the growth. God will take care of the growth. We are convinced that I need something big. I need something big and splashy so that I can share the gospel more effectively. No. All you need is this. All you need is a little yeast, working it through the dough, and it will permeate everything that it touches. The gospel message will grow and flourish in ways we can't begin to understand. The comment was made a while ago. We don't know. You do not know what effect you're going to have when you share the word. The person responds, great, wonderful. The person doesn't respond, okay? You've been faithful, number one, but you don't know what effect that's going to have. It could take years to produce its fruit. You don't know. The kingdom of heaven starts small in this world, but it produces big things. Let's look at the story. He's addressing these to his disciples, or at least that's who, he, who he's explaining things to. How many disciples were there? Twelve. I need two toes. Twelve. One of them betrayed Jesus. So we're down to 11. Well, they all betrayed Jesus when it got right down to the crucifixion. Peter denied that he knew him. The others ran away. They went back to being fishermen. Everything was over. But let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say there were 11 of them. They added another guy. Then God added Paul. And guess what? They changed the world. Not just a little bit. They changed the world. Now, today, scholars would have you believe that everything that was produced by Christianity was bad. Okay? Namely, we produced the Crusades and we burned witches. Okay? That's all we did. Even in earthly terms, let's set aside the spiritual for just a moment. Even in earthly terms, the Christian church built hospitals, universities. They improved the entire world. The world has been changed because of the impact 
of Jesus on 11 and on to us today. You could study history for a long time to try to figure out the impact of the church in the world. And that's just in the physical realm. Okay? When the plague hit, everybody was running away from the sick, and the Christians were taking care of them. The Christians were taking care of them. Now, they died. Yeah, okay. They died. That was okay because they went to a better place. What is the point? We may think, all I've got is this much to contribute. All I've got is this. All I've got is a minuscule, meager testimony. You have no idea. You have a guy that's teaching a group of boys, Sunday school class, and one of those boys goes on to become a world evangelist. Who gets the credit? No, not the teacher or the evangelist, God. That's who gets the credit. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that permeates everything that it does. We could have a long discussion about the fact that the gospel is to permeate every aspect of our lives. It's not a matter of, okay, I'm going to talk about the gospel when I'm up here on Sunday. Tomorrow when I go to work, it's going to be something totally different because that's a whole different world, right? When I have hanging around with friends, particularly my unchristian friends, I'm not, no, it should permeate everything. So, we're out of time. What have we learned? The kingdom of heaven is a field, and there's good and there's bad. The kingdom of heaven means that when we share the gospel, some will respond and some won't. It shouldn't surprise us. The kingdom of heaven starts small, but it permeates everything that it touches. That's the secret of the kingdom of heaven. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you Thank you for the power of the kingdom. I pray, Lord, that we would be good soil, that our hearts would be open and attentive to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.